Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty, live from the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're going to be talking a little about soybean seed treatments and just seed treatments in general. We're also going to cover a number of other things during the show today, including getting to your calls and questions. We've got the Ag PhD mailbag coming up later in the show. If you've got a question for us for that, just email us radio at agphd.com. Um, I have a stack here that is enormous. I'm not going to get through everything today, but uh, we'll get to a bunch of your questions a little bit later. If you've got anything you would like to talk about that's happening in your farm right now, our phone lines will be open through at least most of the show today. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. All right, so let's start with the soybean seed treatment thing, and then i got a couple other things as we open up the show today. With soybean seed treatments, I was telling this story yesterday when we were doing a, a meeting with a number of farmers just in our area right here. And I said, you know, if if I think back 20 years ago when Cruiser Max first came out, for example, that was one of the first ones that was a combination fungicide, insecticide product, and it was around $10. And at the time, soybeans are around $6. And I thought, am I really going to gain over two bushels all the time and average let's let's say three or four bushels so it's a really good return on investment am i going to do that on our farm i don't know we had we had at that point we hadn't had problems with soybean aphids yet hadn't had much for problems with bean leaf beetles yet and sure enough a few years later um we started having major problems with both so at that point then the 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 insecticide alone paid for all the seed treatment and then some but anyway, we also didn't have a lot of disease issues, and we were dealing with much, much, much lower yields because our 10-year average 20 years ago was upper 30s for yield. Well, now our 10-year average is 65, and I just look at beans going, I'm really disappointed when we aren't hitting 70 in every field, and we have, I think we have a lot more potential beyond that. We're fighting more disease issues because we've gone to more reduced tillage, strip till. Uh, we, we aren't doing no-till now. We're doing more strip till on about half our farm, and then the rest is conventional. But, I, I mean, when you do less tillage, you're going to have more disease issues. You are most likely going to have more bug issues. So the other big factor here is commodity price is a lot different. Now you're talking $12 beans versus $6 back then, and I can get... A full boat treatment. So like what we'll put on our soybeans this spring will have 75 components. Not three or four like we had 20 years ago. 75. We're getting four fungicides. We're getting insecticide. We're getting inoculant and extender. And then we're getting a whole bunch of other biologicals or as we call them naturals. And so we are getting much better and more consistent gains because basically we have 75 chances to win as opposed to three or four chances to win back then. And since the commodity price is so much higher, just anything that hits is going to give us a, a, a better chance to succeed when our, the price of beans has gone up percentage-wise way more than the cost of the full-scale soybean seed treatment. So anyway, I, I would just encourage you to at least be trying some of these soybean seed treatments if you haven't been using them on your farm. We work with, well, I'd say most of the farmers that Darren and I work with are using soybean seed treatments and having good success. And granted, we are in the northern United States. 
our soils are typically cold and wet in the spring. So I, I mean, it's almost a no-brainer to be using some seed treatment. But anyway, the other big thing that a lot of people will talk to me about is they'll say, well, if I've got, let's say, really warm conditions this week and I'm going to plant soybeans, I'm not saying here in November, I'm saying in the spring, then my beans are going to pop right out of the ground because it's so warm. So the seed treatment isn't going to do me any good. And I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I'm using 75 components in my seed treatment and all 75 are systemic in that plant. Every single one of them. My point is this. They don't disappear just because your seed pops out of the ground. They're protecting or at least helping that plant, usually for a month or two, in some cases more than that. So I don't look at it as, well, if it's warm, I'm not going to use it. And if it's cold, I am going to use it. I'm looking at I want to use this all the time because I'm getting a decent return on investment. And what we talk about often with seed treatments is, yes, it's possible that one year it might not pay, but the very next year you might gain five or eight bushels. And what you need to look at is the average over time. So nobody can predict the weather. Nobody knows if disease issues are going to be bad or insects or anything else. So it's usually a good idea to test things out over a period of time rather than just doing one field, one time ever, and oh, I'm basing all my decisions on that one situation. So anyway, we'll talk about seed treatments throughout the show today. One of the things we brought up yesterday on the show just briefly, and we had a lot of questions about this, was climate change. And I talked about this a little bit at our workshop yesterday, or uh, the farmer meeting that we're doing. So uh, let me just give you a few facts here. First of all, the Pentagon came out recently and said climate was as big a national security issue as China. Now, that's ridiculous. Let, let me give you one of the facts that we know. CO2 levels today are roughly one-fourth what they were about 40 million years ago. One-fourth. And the Earth's temperature is about 10 degrees cooler today. So the Earth is still here, even though we had four times the CO2 levels about 40 million years ago. Anyway, CO2 is considered the number one greenhouse gas. Well, that's what plants breathe in. So as farmers, we have the whole solution to this. More yield means more CO2 removal. So this is one of the reasons why we want to have more yield. We pull more CO2 out of the air and we kick out more oxygen with our plants. The production and maintenance of battery-powered cars, wind towers, and solar panels, I just encourage you, take a look at what they do for the environment, and also look at how they are on the carbon index scale. There's no fuel out there, no power source out there that can get below zero on the carbon index scale other than biofuels, because we as farmers in the production of the biofuels can build soil organic matter. When we do, we sequester carbon. All right. So I realize it's completely separate from our topic today of soybean seed treatments, but we've had a lot of questions on that, so I wanted to cover that. Anyway, we'll talk seed treatments right after this. Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist Weed Control System, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. What can you do to build a better wheat crop? I'm Darren Hefty. 
On Tuesday, January 11th, we're holding a free Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll be discussing how you can make your wheat crop more profitable by going in-depth on topics such as crop protection programs, seed treatment options, fertility requirements, and ways you can make your crop more resistant to stresses like drought and disease. We'll be covering all this and more, so don't miss the Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop. Sign up today at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and soybeans, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There is a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty, broadcasting today from the Morton studio. We are talking a little about soybean seed treatments. But we'd be happy to answer any of your questions as well. If you've got something you'd like to talk about that's happening in your operation today, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com. All right, so first on the show, we got Dare McDuffie with us. He is with Valent. Dare, how are you today? I am doing great. Thank you, Brian. All right, so soybean seed treatments, when farmers or agronomists ask you about soybean seed treatments, where do you usually start the conversation? Well, um, you know, I think a lot of people hear about, you know, new new technologies that are coming out. Everyone's adding um, additional products to their, their seed treatment packages. And I think sometimes people are kind of like, you know, hold on, you guys are putting a lot onto the seed. How much do we need? You know, what? why are you doing this? And I just wanted to back up and, and kind of mention three beneficial agricultural practices that I think are driving increases in disease pressure. Okay. Go ahead. So I, uh, I think that uh, cover crops is something that people um, are, are definitely into. Yep. That helps create that green bridge. And w- when you keep that soil vibrant and alive, it's a great place for the beneficial microbes. And it's a great place for, you know, your plant pathogenic fungi as well. Yep. Um, no-till has a great um, um, bridge as well for that inoculum to build up. But I think number one and something that's here to stay and is just going to continue is early planting. I think everyone's striving to plant as early as possible. And man, does that have such a great effect on the amount of disease pressure you're putting on those early seedlings. Yeah, I agree. People want to plant early. It's just a question from one spring to the next. Is it going to be dry enough to plant early or not? We've been lucky the last couple of years, like in our region of the country, we've been able to go early. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you that when the seed has to sit there longer before it comes out, it's more subject to disease uh, and insects. But you bring up a couple of good points, like with cover crops. I, I'd mentioned no-till earlier in the show, but I kind of forgot about the cover crop thing. That is a really big deal when you have something living out there 
more and more just more cover period you are more likely to have disease so what what are you seeing in your research then in terms of seed treatments paying better today i was talking then like i was talking 20 years ago i didn't see the response back then like i do today what are you finding in your research well, um, you know, the, the, the weather is changing, like you said. And um, this year, the, the NOAA just said that we had the hottest summer in the 126 years that they've been collecting data. And it just inched out over the previous hottest summer. And could you, would you hazard a guess as to what year that was? <laughs> the one before? Oh, you know, that's in the top five, but it just <laughs> inched out 1936, oh, the 36, apex okay. year of the Dust Bowl. <laughs> yep. But yeah, to your point, 2020 is in the top five, 2011, 2012 are in the top five. And, you know, rain events, you know, we're, we're getting a similar amount of rain, but, you know, it's kind of they're more severe and varied. So I think that seed treatment and, and what I've seen in my research is that seed treatment is your first step into building a resilient plant. And that is what you need to get through some of these changes that we're seeing in practices, some of these changes that we're seeing in weather, some of the changes that we're seeing in genetics. All, all these changes, if you have a resilient plant from the very start, you're going um, you're, you're to weather those changes, pardon the pun. All right. So with Valent, I, I would like you to talk to me for just a minute here about what's different with anything from Valent as a seed treatment or your seed treatment package when we're talking soybeans. Certainly. I mean, with, with Intego Sweet Soybeans, which is our fungicide and insecticide uh, uh, soybean package, you know, we've got the right combination of fungicides from Ipconazole, that's like a seed sterilizer, broad spectrum, it's going to control uh, Rhizoctonia fusarium, to our combination of Ethoboxum and Metalaxyl, which we think gives the, the best one-two punch against Pythium, you know, one of the primary early season problems that I'm talking about and something that you're more likely to run into with an early planting. But beyond that, we have a, a VAOEZ nematicide, and it's uh, known for you know allowing plants to thrive in, in nematode-infested fields. But it, it is a bacillus. It will colonize the whole root. It has benefits beyond just nematodes as far as it can also aid in the disease control and just a nutrient availability and pickup by, by extending that root system. Yeah, I would say we've done testing with Valent for years and years now on the different products that you've had, and the Antigo Suite has performed very well, certainly in our region and, and really everywhere we've seen it used. Well, again, we've been talking to Dare McDuffie. He is with Valent. Dare, thanks a lot for the time today. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, Ryan. You bet. All right, next on, we got Blake Miller with us. He is with Syngenta over in Illinois. Blake, how are you doing today? Good, and yourself? Doing great. All right. So we were just talking to Dare a little bit about some of these different diseases and some of the issues that we're seeing in soybeans. Just tell us a little bit about seed treatment use in maybe your area of the United States over in Illinois and what diseases are farmers are getting the most response from out of these seed treatments. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, in Central Illinois, We've had this uh, shift to earlier planting of soybeans, so you you change the environment, right, that the soybeans in uh, a bit, you know, from the past history. So we're in cooler, typically wetter conditions, and the first step on the list really is is Pythium, Pythium andor phytophthora, and, and, and you know the damping off situation. So 
if a grower loses stand at that point, you know, you guys farm immediately, you've already lost income and potential. So those, the, the Pythium probably out of the gate into Phytophthora, uh, Rhizoctonia is a challenge as far as how it uh, colonizes and, and, and it disrupting the plumbing, I like to call it in the plant, allowing access to moisture, moisture and nutrients. So that's really stand establishments, the first uh, key Adoption's been pretty high in central Illinois as soybean prices, the seed prices have increased over time. It's made that decision much easier than it was a decade ago, for example. One of the things that's really changed, too, in the last 30 years now is rather than somebody just using one fungicide or maybe two, it's several fungicides getting used to cover some of the different diseases. Like you mentioned, you, you said three big ones there, Pythium, Phytophthora, and Rhizoctonia. So I, I assume your research is really showing we want multiple fungicides out there to give us a broader spectrum, correct? Absolutely. It takes it takes a premix with multiple effective sites of action and, and many of these you know fungicides are specific, you know, to your point about bandwidth or they're specific to Phytophthora or Pythium and then the next one you need for Fusarium, the next one for Rhizoctonia. Um you know, if you're targeting Fusarium virgiliforme, the, the driver agent in the sudden death syndrome, you may need something different for that. And then you'd like to create overlap to mitigate resistance in that whole process. So, yeah, it's, it's a bit complicated. All right. So I got just over a minute left, Blake. Just if you can summarize quickly, because I know you have lots of products at Syngenta, but just tell us what maybe some of the things that are different about the Syngenta seed treatments versus others that we'd be interested in. Yeah. So first up with with Cursor Max Vibrance, that's a premix that most people on the call would potentially be using. Uh, what's What's different about that are twofold. It's twofold. It's it's a product called, uh, an active ingredient called Sedaxane, branded name Vibrance, that specifically tar- targets Rhizoctonia solani, which ca- can cause dampening off, but disruption of the plumbing. So I want you to think about that. And, and helps with rooting power, right, and access to water and nutrients. That's uh, typically a gap with, with some of the competitor treatments out there. And then thiamethoxam, um, our cruiser portion that would target the bean leaf beetle. Actually, we have a, a, a patent uh, on the vigor effect. So how quickly can I sh- close the rows, get a bigger photosynthetic engine out there to attract more light and produce more bushels? That is actually patented. And then finally, the Salto dynamic, where we came onto the market a few years ago with a uh, soybean cyst nematode and free living nematode and SDS solution in Saltro to compete with the only other uh, product that was in the marketplace in that space at that time. So those those three things really differentiate us in the marketplace from our competitors. Yeah, lots of good offerings there. Again, this has been Blake Miller we've been talking with with Syngenta. Blake, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. Yeah, take care. Yep, you too. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. 
Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, do you think you could cut your farm's fertilizer expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year, January 12th and 13th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the most important two days that you spend in your farming career, and it's all free. So register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today we're talking about soybean seed treatments. We're going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag just shortly. First, we've got our friend Lee Lubers on with us. He farms in South Dakota. He's part of the Extreme Ag Group. Lee, tell me what's happening on your farm today. Are you still able to do some stuff out in the field yet? Uh, yeah, we're just finishing some uh, fall prees today. And we've been working on uh, doing dirt work and uh, fixing some culverts and some field crossing. So not what we're usually doing at the very end of November. <laughs> I was going to say, is this one of the longest and nicest falls you've experienced? Oh, it's a welcome uh, fall for us. It's, it's great. Uh, there's a lot of things we're doing to get a real good jump on uh, the year of 22. All right. So... In your area, we're, we're talking soybeans and soybean seed treatments on the show today. 
in your area, how long have soybeans been raised in South Central South Dakota? Because that's not exactly what, I mean, most people in the country would think of as like the heart of soybean country. Uh, we started planting soybeans in a rotation in 1986, and that was one of the times people called us nuts. <laughs> so it's been a while. <laughs> So in your area there, there are a lot of different crops raised. What percentage of the crop land in your area, let's call it within 50-mile radius, would be soybeans? Is it 20%, 30%, 40%? What do you think? I would say a good, strong 30%. Uh, we, we run multiple crops in a rotation, but it's surprising in the last 10 years how many people have gone to a corn-soybean rotation. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and that's one of the things I get, and we're going to get to this in our Ag PhD mailbag in a little bit, but a lot of people suggest farmers have lots of diversity, and I would love to have that, but at the end of the year, I got to pay the bills. And corn and soybeans have been paying the bills better than a lot of the other crops, so I can understand why people have been transitioning to that. Okay, so let's talk about soybean seed treatment use on your farm. Have you always been using a soybean seed treatment? Is this something you started doing recently? Uh, as soon as we could start uh, getting chemistry applied on the seed, we started doing that. We, of course, we started inoculating right away and uh, definitely knew that paid. And then we had chemistry. That was another yield bump. And now that there's some really good low use rate biology that we can incorporate with it, we're doing that too. Every time we're getting an uptick in consistency and yield. So... When you say an uptick and more consistency in yield, are you still seeing some variance out there? And is this something where you see a lot of variance? Like I was talking earlier in the show where some years it's zero and other years it's five, especially if you're just talking like using a fungicide. So can you kind of talk us through that, what what that's looked like in the past and what that looks like now in terms of this consistency? It's kind of taken out, you know, the, the lows, the, the, the disappointments are gone, and it seems to even things out more, and, and it gives us more potential for yield. About three years ago, we had uh, in one area, we were kind of puzzled for a few days. All the neighbors around us were spraying their beans just frantically, and we were like, okay, what are we missing? We kept, we kept walking their fields every day and checking. <laughs> then we talked to one of the neighbors. They decided to cut cost, and there was all the neighbors around us decided to cut costs and planted untreated beans. They had massive pod clipping from bean leaf beetles. Oh. We had no issues whatsoever. So we not only prevented the spring, we never lost yield. So we, we probably gained tenfold over what the guy did across the fence from us, you know, where $4 cost you 40, that kind of scenario. So the couple of guests we've had on the show already today just said that they've seen more issues with disease because of earlier planting, because of cover crops, because of no-till. Are you seeing the same thing on your farm? We're asking more of our seed than we used to. (laughs) We're in a no-till environment, heavier residue, we're raising better crops, Uh, we're seeing earlier planting dates are paying, so we're going into a little bit colder moisture conditions that are more conducive to disease so we know it's critical if we want to keep maximum potential we know we've got to protect that seed i want to come back to you mentioned inoculant and you just said you also said that roughly let's call it 30 percent of the 
uh, the acres that are farmed in your area have soybeans on them. So as soon as you say 30%, that tells me that one out of every three years, a person to be planting soybeans theoretically. So are you finding that inoculant is paying better when you haven't planted beans, you know, for a couple of years or three years or, or whatever it's been, or are you getting fairly decent gains out of inoculant all the time now? We're getting the gains out of the inoculant because we're getting into uh, better inoculants than what we had 10, 20 years ago. We're getting multiple strains, higher concentrations. Uh, the payoff is better than it used to be even. So in terms of these seed treatments that you're using, I assume that your seed dealers are putting things on or are you doing this on your farm? Uh, we are letting our seed dealer do it because they have the professional equipment and we know it's done right. It flows out of the truck nice. We go to the field, we plant. There's no surprises and time is money. When it's time to get seed in the ground, uh, we decide we're better off to let somebody who do that does that every day, day in, day out, and does it with the proper equipment. And then we use the good equipment and get it in the ground. Yeah, one of the things that I didn't even quite frankly think about was how low the use rate is on some of these different products, whether it's fungicide or insecticide. And so this goes back to 20 years ago when we were treating a lot of stuff on our own farm. And, you know, we had, I'm going to call it really basic equipment to do this. And anyway, I was talking to a couple manufacturers and I just said, look, I want to put insecticide on. And they go, well, you can't with the equipment that you're using. I go, what do you mean I can't? I'm a good operator. I know what I'm doing. And they go, no, your, your equipment's not good enough. If you screw it up a little bit, you're going to have a problem. And then you're going to come back to me and blame me that my, my seed treatment's bad. The seed treatment's amazing as long as you get the rate correct. So, yeah, I, I think that's something like, like for us, we've always tried to do everything ourselves on our farm. And this was something where we said, okay, we got to let the seed dealer do this because we just simply don't have that equipment and I'm not going to spend $50,000 to buy the equipment uh, just to treat the the seed that we needed every year. So yeah, I, I think that's that, that part has changed quite a bit, I know, from when I was a young agronomist 30 years ago. Uh, Lee, anything else you'd like to talk to us about today when it comes to soybean seed treatments? Uh, we've learned on our soybeans, like we have on all of our crops, uh, good modern seed treatments uh they're better than they were 20 years ago like you mentioned uh, soybeans i remember the good old days when they just naturally stuck together yep. and you always had to break them up yep now we have so much better components to work with and lower use rates we have so much better protection for uh, maximizing our yield things we never could even dream about 20 years ago Yep, I agree. Polymers and just, I mean, those low use rate things. Yeah, there, there's a lot that's that's certainly changed with that. Well, again, we've been talking with Lee Lubers. He farms in South Dakota and is part of the Extreme Ag Group. Um, and Lee, if people are interested in what you're doing or the rest of your Extreme Ag team is doing, where can they go to see your information? Uh, they can go to extremeag.farm and follow us there and they can find us on facebook uh, we're always out there we're always up to something <laughs> all right sounds good thanks for being on the show lee we really appreciate it and good luck to you out there hey thanks a lot you bet all right as we wrap up on the soybean seed treatment discussion i, I guess i'll leave you with where i started i would just 
really encourage you, if you haven't been using a seed treatment, at least try some things out. And I would really strongly look at not just fungicides, but look at insecticide, inoculant, and then also biological, or as we call them, natural products. So there are a lot of things that we've been able to find now that are giving us a better chance for a decent return on investment. And I'm not saying everything's always going to pay or anything like that. But I am saying when you look at the price, or I should say the cost of soybean seed today, it's a lot. The value of the soybean crop is a lot. So you've got a decent chance for a return on investment compared to if soybeans um, were inexpensive at the market or anything like that. But I, I just say we've got a lot of risk all the time as farmers. And as we go to less tillage, more cover crops, uh, no-till, all these kind of things, we do have more risk with disease and insects especially. Well, we'll get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag right after this. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Conditioning low-moisture beans to 13% can add semi-loads to your bottom line. And with our 13 for 13 year-end special, make 13% beans possible with 13% off an end-zone bin system. Use promo code 13 for 13 at farmshopmfg.com. One of the most important things you can do for your farm is improving drainage. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Monday, January 31st, we're hosting a free Ag PhD tiling clinic in the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Whether you've been tiling for years or you're looking to plan your first project, you won't want to miss this event. We have a whole host of information for you, including a legal session with the country's top drainage lawyers, as well as presentations on tile design, lift stations, NRCS guidelines, and ways to approach neighbors and landlords about tiling issues. For more details and to register, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other AgPhD events we have coming up in January and February including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, 
Three no-excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitec Fungicide from BASF. That's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today we've been talking just a little bit about soybean seed treatments, and I don't care if it's soybeans, if it's corn, if it's wheat, whatever crop it is. You got to look at what diseases could potentially hurt my seed and seedlings, what insects could also do damage to the seed and seedlings, and then what's my return on investment potential that I have. With soybeans, we think it's, well, we know that most of the time it's been pretty good here lately, especially with crop prices high, the value of the seed being fairly great, and just having more disease and insect pressure than we ever used to, in part because our yields are a lot higher, but in part because we're doing a lot less tillage, using more cover crops and things like that. So anyway, we just really encourage you to take a look at seed treatments. And even if you're getting, let's say your seed corn, I realize it's treated, but there are different companies doing different things. So make sure when you're buying seed corn, you ask the seed dealer, what treatments am I getting on here exactly? So then you can start to put some value to that because there are some companies putting 30, 40 things on the seed and other companies are putting three or four things on the seed. Well, that's got to have some value there. So I'd really take a look at that as you're buying your seed going into 2022. Okay, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. All right. First question is from Sam in Minnesota. He says, with Roundup prices going up, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on how good Laudis, Impact, and Callisto are on grass post-emerge. With price differences between each of these HPPDs, how is the control on grass with each? Which one is best in your opinion? Uh, if not going to use a Roundup source, if, if I'm not going to use a Roundup source in corn. Okay, so Sam, I would just say, in my opinion, and from what we've seen in our research, Laudis is a little bit better than Impact, and Laudis and Impact are definitely better than Callisto. Now, I don't expect any of them to be perfect, and I will say all of them, all the HPPDs, are better if you get just a little bit of atrazine in there, even if it's a quarter pound of atrazine. And this is one of the things going back to before these products were ever even labeled When I was talking to the researchers, they just said, we don't understand this fully, but for whatever reason, a little bit of atrazine, a splash of atrazine, just makes the the product work so much better. So atrazine by itself is terrible on grass. It's three times more active on broadleaves than it is on grass. But having just a little bit of atrazine with your loudest impact or Callisto will absolutely help you. The other big thing that's going to help you is if you spray really super early. If the grass is an inch tall or less, you got a shot. If the grass is three inches tall, I would say you don't have much chance to get very good control. All right, uh, next one I want to get to. It's actually, I got several. Let's see, how many do I have here? Four uh, questions or comments about on our television show recently, we talked about the purpose of tillage. So I'll read you some of these. All right, this one says, obviously you fellas don't know about a bacteria that lays dormant in, uh, until you till the ground, then it burns down the house and consumes everything, binding it up. Multi-species cover crops in the fall will feed biology and consume the fodder through biological stimulation, more available nutrients, more porous soils with less compaction, and greater response to the next cash crop. 
Uh, next one, let's see, this is from LV, uh, who says, please take a moment to search regenerative farming on YouTube. The traditional way of farming shown here is not sustainable and is killing our planet. Regenerative, incorporating livestock and eschewing uh, tilling, baiting, spraying in artificial fertilizer, that's the future of farming. It has no downside except the time it takes to transition and the appearance of the farmland is not neat and uniform. Uh, next one from Randall says, I'd like to see a topic called the purpose of cover crops. Then we might get an education on what's really going on. The part in this video where he says, we till because it breaks up compaction four to eight inches deep. Give me a break. When you till, you just move the compaction layer deeper. You can't till three to four feet deep. You drive a, a big combine in the ground when it's wet and uh, you cut ruts and you compact three to four feet deep. You'll never solve that until you do cover crops. And they work great with fertilizer as well with no runoff. And then the last one from Dan says, yeah, let's uh, till up that beneficial soil my microbiology, get it out of there and replace it with man-made chemicals. Oh, my goodness. So here, a couple of things. First of all, um, you can farm however you want to farm in most cases. And we can make tillage work and we can make no-till work and we can make strip-till work but it all requires some different management you're not losing all your microbes when you till and especially if you do some tillage not tilling everything so there are many reasons why a farmer may want to till but here's number one making money on the farm and in some cases like when we put cover crops in we can't plant in the spring right away and Sometimes when we put cover crops in, it sucks all the moisture out and we get terrible yield the next year. And at at, at the end of the day, here's the thing. We got to survive if we're going to worry about soil for the long term. We got to survive in the short term. And so in some cases, people feel like they have to do tillage and that's fine. That's that That's as a farmer in the United States, that's your choice. So I like tillage in certain cases, and I like tillage too. So for one of these, it says you can't solve compaction. I'm not saying you can solve compaction, but to break up a layer of compaction four to eight inches deep, it absolutely works. It may move it down eventually, but in the meantime, I got to get crop roots down there. And the more roots I can get down, the less chance I'm going to have for compaction in the future. Um, in terms of in, uh the farming that we're using today, killing the planet and everything else, no way. Yields are going up. Our soil's getting healthier. And we're using, I realize the term chemical sounds terrible, but there are a lot of things that are now natural products that we're using as farmers. And I could give you a whole list of those. But anyway, I'm just trying to say there are a lot of different ways to farm. And if it was so easy to do to farm without fertilizer without herbicides and and just using cover crops well then people a hundred years ago should have the same yields that we have today but they didn't so we, we have to incorporate modern technology with some of the things that we've learned about farming uh, with less tillage in certain cases and everybody's soils different their environments different so one thing doesn't necessarily work for everybody out there. Cover crops do not fit on my farm, for example, in a lot of cases, because we plant when the frost, there's sometimes frost still in the ground, and we harvest when there's frost in the ground sometimes. How am I going to raise a cover crop? There's no possible chance. So anyway, I, I understand, I appreciate all the feedback, uh, and, and yes, there is certainly an argument to be made that 
we need to really take a look at building up our soils and, you know, in some cases using cover crops and everything else, but that does not necessarily work for every single person out there. All right. Uh, next question here comes from Chris. He says, is there anywhere where strip till won't work? Uh, Chris, I, I would just say where people have struggled with strip till and no-till is where conditions are really cold and they worry about that soil warming up. Now, I'm not talking about Alabama or Kansas or Iowa. I'm talking about North Dakota, Canada, northern Minnesota, Wisconsin, some of these areas where it's really darn cold. And I'm not saying strip till can't work there. It can. But I am just saying that for a lot of farmers, they figured out, hey, earlier planting works and I'm getting more yield, which makes more money. But if I do just strip till or if I do no till, then I can't plant as early and I don't have as good a stand. I don't have as much vigor out of that stand. So, I, again, I'm not saying strip till can't work anywhere. It, I think it can. But for some people, they believe that they need to warm that soil even more than what strip till will do. And so that's about the only spot where I would say I've had anybody tell me, you know, I kind of prefer the full scale tillage to what I'm doing with strip till. All right, uh, next one uh, comes from Hader who asks, is it safe to drill winter wheat with ammonium sulfate? Um, well, look, our biggest fear all the time is salt. And fertilizer, by definition, is salt. So when we get salt close to the seed, we do get concerned. So I don't care what kind of fertilizer we're talking about, we have to be careful. Sulfur concerns me, nitrogen concerns me. So if it's me, am I gonna put a bunch of ammonium sulfate out there? Probably not. Ammonium sulfate, both the nitrogen and sulfur can move down in the soil, so usually we broadcast it instead just to be safe. But could a little bit be used? Probably. Stay tuned, we'll get to more of your questions after this. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. How do you make 300 bushel corn on your farm? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, February 1st, we're going to answer that question at a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll talk about water management, fertility needs, finding success in cold soils, and we'll discuss how to protect your corn crop from weeds, insects, and diseases that rob yield potential. If you want a roadmap to 300 bushel corn and beyond, don't miss the free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. Register now at agphd.com. 
While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events that we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in soybeans and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information that we can't wait to share with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest Premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio, live from the Morton studio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag. Got a question from Caleb who asks, how do I keep grasshoppers from eating my pecan tree leaves? Well, Caleb, there are a number of insecticides that are labeled for use in pecans. Um, I would think right away that least expensive would be some of the pyrethroids, like Asana, for example. Just check what's labeled for you in your area. Uh, next one is from another Caleb uh, who asks, I have a high calcium lime analysis that I sent you guys. And yes, Caleb, I did get your analysis here that you sent. Uh, I'm looking to use this to raise my calcium base saturation percentage, but I'm worried that the material is not fine enough. How long will this source take to break down and become effective? Okay, so what we're looking at whenever we, we check out lime sources is how much will pass through different sieve sizes. So if I've got a, a four, well, 100% is passing through that. Eight, 97% on his test. But passing through a 60 sieve, it's only 37.5%, and that's where his concern comes in. Because I know at some of our soils clinics that we've done, we've shown some of the lime we've used on our farm, and it's 100% going through the 60, and... I don't remember what the number is off the top of my head, 80, 90%, something like that, through a 100 sieve. So it's really fine. So we get fast activity and we get a good change. So anyway, your concern here, Caleb, is is just, I, I, I get that, but would I worry about it that much? No, your ECCE is 50 and it's not terrible. Is it going to take time to break down? Of course it is, but all lime takes time to break down. We usually figure three years on average. Now, uh, if you're from Wisconsin and the weather's cold, then I, I would think it's possible, and especially if the weather's dry. So let's say we have cold and dry for a couple years. Then is it possible that it could take four to five years to 100% fully break down? Yes, it is. But here's the thing. You're asking the question about calcium-based saturation percentage, not the question about soil pH. So your calcium-based saturation percentage is actually going to change 
very quickly. The soil pH is what would take time to change. So if all you're worried about is just getting more calcium out in, the, in your soil, so your soil is maybe a little bit more porous, less likely to compact, things like that, then I, I don't think I would worry about it that much. You're probably going to be fine. Nevertheless, I'll give you my disclaimer on this. Be careful when it comes to soil pH because we've screwed it up on our farm too much in the past, and I just don't want you putting too much lime on to raise your pH beyond where you want to see it. So if you're just interested in changing that calcium-based saturation percentage, you may want to take a look at gypsum. If you send me your soil test, then I could certainly tell you my opinion, at least, on whether you would want lime or gypsum. All right, uh, so apparently we got people stirred up on this tillage thing that we were just talking about in the last segment. So I got three more emails here. Um, two of these are very similar, so I'll, I'll read both of these. Uh, Scott says, these guys can rationalize their way through anything. I love the episode that tries to explain that tiling helps reduce flooding. Yeah, right. Um, Scott, tiling does reduce flooding. That's a proven fact. So if you want to read, uh, let's see, I'll, I'll pull this up here for you. Uh, okay, just do, an, just do an internet search for environmental benefits of tile drainage. It's out of University of Guelph by Heather Frazier and Ron Fleming. Again, that's environmental benefits of tile drainage. It's a, it's a summary of 86 different studies, most of which are university studies, and they're going to show you that tiling absolutely reduces flooding. When you stop and think about it for just a second, um, if I have lowered the water table. When it rains, then water can soak in instead of needing to run off. This is the reason why you have less erosion and the reason why you have less flooding when fields are tiled. All right, next one, uh, and this is back to the purpose of tillage thing, and David sent in, he goes, I watch Ag PhD and enjoy it, but like all shows, they're trying to sell you something. No one's going to tell you that uh, to no-till, make less passes, use less seed or inputs, uh, look, I, David, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. We, we, we very often do say go no till use less passes, uh, cut your seeding rate, um, use fewer inputs. We talk all the time about, Hey, raise a healthier crop and hopefully it's going to be more tolerant to weeds, insects, and diseases. It's flat out going to do better. But anyway, um, we'll move on. So the last one I got here on the purpose of tillage, uh, uh, this is from JR who says, that's not sand or clay that's blowing away in the wind. That's your richest, most valuable soil and it's leaving your field. Uh, yes, this is the reason why a lot of people have reduced tillage. And we often encourage people to reduce tillage just because we worry about soil erosion. But nevertheless, uh, sometimes there are reasons why a farmer needs to tile. I get that. And so, uh, again, in the United States here, at least in most areas, you can do whatever you choose to do with your land, but you have to understand the risks of each thing that you do. All right, next question here is from Bill from Ohio. He said, earlier this year, you were talking about 2,4-D products that don't move far in the wind. You talked about cotton that you grew and sprayed close to it, and I wasn't able to get the name of that product. If you could give me the name, that'd be great. I appreciate that. All right, so Bill, the name of that product that we used near our cotton was Freelex. Freelex is basically the same thing as Enlist that gets sprayed over Enlist crops. So Enlist and Freelix are the new 2,4-D, 2,4-D choline. The only difference is Freelix is the base product. The Enlist, or Enlist 1 technically, Enlist 1 is the uh, base product plus another 
drift retardant, I'll call it. So it, it would stay put just a little bit better. But quite frankly, with the Freelex, we've felt that has been amazing just on its own. Anyway, um, with Freelex and with Enlist One, we found almost zero volatility. I'm not saying that you aren't going to get physical drift or anything, but I am saying, as a person who has sprayed lots of 2,4-D in his lifetime um, and had it volatilize all over the place and cause issues in our beans, trees, I've killed my mom's flowers, killed her garden. Um, yeah, I wasn't the favorite son for a long time. But anyway, that's the old 2,4-D. This new stuff, we just aren't finding that. We've sprayed it near sensitive crops for seven or eight years now. It's amazing. All right, next one here is from Colin. He says, I see you allow registration for your January 12th and 13th soils clinics for each day individually. Why is this? Are both days the same? Uh, or why would I choose to attend one day and not the other? Uh, Colin, I don't know why we have them set up separately because it's a one it's one seminar altogether, and we are covering different things on day one and day two. And I'll be honest with you, at this point, I haven't decided entirely what we're covering on day one versus day two. It's going to depend a little bit on how far we get on day one. But we're going to talk about how to read a soil test, how to make your own recommendations, and then take a, taking a look at your actual soil test. So for anybody who's attending our soils clinic, and it's free, you can come to our farm, it's free. We'll give you a good meal, um, and it's in our Morton Center where we can have a 1,000 farmers in there. We're going to have about 50 trained soils agronomist there besides Darren and me. So if we can't get to you, then one of those people will be able to get to you during the breaks and answer your specific questions. Take a look at your soil tests. Because here's the thing, fertilizer is expensive. I think we all know that this year. And we just want to help you understand whatever you need to be able to read your own tests, make your own decisions on your farm, and hopefully turn 2022 into, if not your most profitable year ever, at least one of the top few. All right. Uh, next one here is from Clara, who says, man, that's a lot of money for fertilizer. More true in 2021 with $1,300 urea. Uh, and she was just giving us a comment on, we had talked about soil tests the other day. Yes, uh, Clara, <laughs> fertilizer is really ridiculously expensive. So I, I would just say I am happy that on our farm we had a lot of carryover nitrogen, but we were talking about this on our show a little bit yesterday. If for you or anybody out there listening, if you haven't tested your soil for fall nitrogen and what is carried over from the previous year, I would strongly encourage you to do that. We found as much as 300 pounds per acre in some of our ground. 300 pounds! I don't know how it got there because we had pretty good crop, but we must have just gotten a lot more out of the soil's organic matter. Maybe we put on too much a year ago. I have no idea. All I know is I'm glad I tested, and certainly we're going to be testing again next spring. Uh, I mean, before we do side dress or, you know, early summer. But anyway, I, I would just say it's really important to know how to read the soil test and put on the right fertilizer when fertility costs as much as it does today. All right, well, before we go, I just want to say, say thanks to our production staff. My sister Janelle was running the controls for me today. Appreciate that. And thanks to everybody who called or wrote in with questions. And thanks to you for listening. And be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.